very good evening. It is the Nile Boyden podcast, and this week joining me on the line is Peter Casey, former presidential candidate. Uh, came second in 2018, a very respectful second, actually, with quite a lot of the popular vote. Uh, Peter, good afternoon to you from uh, Atlanta, by the way. You're living in Atlanta now. Uh, temporarily here, Nile, because of COVID restrictions in Ireland. So everything is opened up here in Atlanta. So I have a home in Atlanta, and obviously mm. one in Donegal. So it was uh, better spending COVID in Atlanta than Donegal, you know. Okay, well, let, let's go back. To, we'll come back to the presidential election in a few minutes. I'm sure that's been a great experience for you, although quite a lot of money spent. But, in, and most of that you would have got back. Um, you grew up, obviously, in Derry, uh, in the bog side, and your mm-hmm. father would have been very good friends and associates with people like John Hume and many other people as well at the time who were quite influential people. But at what yeah. point, I mean, did you decide, I need to get myself a really good job? I'm sick of working for other people. I want to work for me. So, I mean, you, you had mentioned to me earlier on that you were passed up for promotion when you were in Xerox. So did that take you back a little bit and say, oh, I'm sick of working for other people now? Well, what happened was uh, when I was passed over for the promotion to state manager at the early age of 26, <laughs> and I thought, how dare they? You know, so I thought, I'll go and look for another job. And I went out and went around the recruiting agencies in uh, Sydney. And they were all in beautiful offices where you walk in and you sink into the carpet. They're all beautiful harbour views of the Sydney Harbour. And, uh, you know, and after about a week, none of them had sort of got back to me and contacted me. And I thought, like, I'm God's gift to sales here, you know? <laughs> how, come, how, come, how come these idiots don't recognise this amazing opportunity they have to make money, you know? So I went back and I, I was saying to my girlfriend at the time, I said, this is just ridiculous, you know. They should have had me out for interview this week, and and she said, "Well, if that's e- if it's that easy, when did you do it yourself?" You know, mm-hmm. and I said, well, "I think I will," you know, and uh, that's exactly what I went out and uh, I actually uh, marketed myself, got a couple of job offers, and then uh, one of them was with Triumph Adler, and I went to the state manager Jeff Talbot, and I said, "Jeff, look, I'm uh, thank you for the job offer, but." I've decided to open up my own company doing recruiting. He said, and uh, would you give me the opportunity to fill the, the roles for you? And he said, okay. And that's where it started. You know? And, and at, at what point did you decide that, you know, that's kind of the idea of mass recruiting wasn't for you and you went for the higher end of the market, recruiting CEOs, recruiting directors? I mean, at one stage, I'm assuming when you started your recruiting business, it was just recruiting your average staff. I mean, the, the shop floor staff. But then you went on, you said, was there no money in that? Is that what the problem was? And you wanted to go to something bigger? Uh, I was very fortunate. The person in the office next to me had been sent out to open up uh, in the service office I was in. He was sent, uh, sent out to open up a small company called Oracle. And he was the first employee, Steve Clark, in Oracle, Australia. He was the managing director. And he was telling me how this relational database technology was going to change the world. And I was going, well, I don't really own a computer, so it doesn't affect me. <laughs> you know? But uh, anyway, it, you know, he said, look, I need some salespeople. And, you know, I said, Steve, look, I'll have to charge you. I know you're a friend, but I'll have to charge you. He said, no, that's fine. We've got plenty of money. <laughs> <laughs> and I had, no idea. I had no idea of the tsunami of success that was coming mm-hmm. uh, along with uh, Oracle. And then they grew so big and so fast. Uh, I, I was their in-house recruiting department. And Steve got promoted uh, to be the uh, head of Asia Pacific region, and he retained me to find a managing director for Oracle in Australia. 
and that's how we sort of that was our that's first how you ventured CEO. into that. I mean, now of course you're, first, yeah. you're, you're recruiting now for some of the biggest companies in the world, like Tata in India, for example, and many of the biggest companies in the world. Tata is just the biggest uh, unknown secret in the world. I mean, it is, uh, you know, it's almost five percent of the Indian GDP, and they're controlled by two major philanthropic trusts. So it's one of the biggest charities in the world, you know. So they own Tata Motors, Tetley T, you know, Jaguar Land Rover. I know, know people are probably people watching this will be saying, well, I've never heard of Tata. You can guarantee if you look around your house, some of the steel somewhere in your house comes some from Tata. <laughs> Absolutely comes in your refrigerator yeah. or whatever it is, and all that steel comes from Tata. But but what people don't realise when you buy a Jaguar, you're actually contributing to charity because you know Tata all make of the, the steel. Companies. Absolutely. Well, all of the well, Tata Jaguar Land Rover is owned by Tata, you know. So, uh, all of the Tata companies have to contribute to Tata Sons, which is mm. the parent company, and then Tata Sons has to distribute ninety percent of their profits every year to charity. It's an amazing story. All right. So, how do we then venture from being Peter, the multimillionaire who appeared on Dragons Den and helped other people to become successful at one stage on RTE, to Peter, I'm bored out of my head. I'm now going into politics. I mean, where did that come from? <laughs> Wait, was it just a new toy to play with? Were you bored, or I mean, did you get bored? Is that what it was? No, no, no. I think that the presidency is an incredibly influential position in the world. Uh, you know, there in, in Ireland, rather. You know, there there are seventy six million Irish people around the world, and the presidency is an opportunity to um, represent those people, not just the six million people in Ireland. But to be a voice for the you know the 70 million that are living outside of Ireland who passionately regard themselves as Irish. I mean, I know I know you did go on about the expats quite a lot and and trying to encourage them to come home again. Mind you, now we're trying to encourage them to stay out of the country. We're trying to encourage them to come home again. <laughs> yeah. um, during the presidential candidacy, of course, um, one of the controversial figures you became because of your comments in relation to members of the travelling community in a particular area of Ireland who didn't want houses. Do you regret that somehow, maybe venturing into that road? Or, or do you think that's what kind of made you popular because you said what a lot of people might have been thinking at the time? Well, it was one of the things that I said that resonated with people. One of the other things I think resonated more with people was uh, I, I said, you know, that this Middle Ireland person that gets up every morning, works like 12 hours a day, can't see any light at the end of the tunnel, can't afford to, to pay the mortgage or can't afford to get a mortgage. And, you know, it's that person that I said, you know, this is the person that's paying all the bills. And mm-hmm. these are the people that need a hand up. You know, they don't need a hand out. They needed a hand up, you know, a help up. And that was more, I mean, the the traveler thing was, you know, exaggerated out of all portion. Do you think I you mean, were taken out of context? Were your comments taken out of context? They were, of course. I mean, I, basically, I was walking around, uh, for, you know, Dublin with my wife and uh, before the election. And there was, you know, we counted over two dozen people sleeping in doorways. And mm. I, this just isn't what Ireland's supposed to be about, you know. I, and then the next day, uh, it was brought to my attention that there were these six houses that were, you know, beautiful houses sitting empty. And it was, uh, you know, uh, and they had magnificent houses. They took solar panels, you know, beautiful kitchens. And they weren't, the people in the traveling community weren't Didn't want them. them. They were refusing them they because they didn't them. have a stable. 
they they wanted they wanted two stables and an acre of land per house. You know, and, I mean, it just, it just kind of got to you. I mean, but during the campaign, I, yeah, I mean, you had to appear in RT quite a bit. You had to appear in TV three mm-hmm. quite a bit at the time. I mean, it was Virgin Media one now, but TV three at the time and many radio interviews. I interviewed you on a couple of occasions as well on the radio. I mean, that was something new, a new venture for you. How did you handle the media? Do you think you you did okay? Were you nervous? You know, um, I was nervous, but uh, I've now learned to finish my sentences, which you probably noticed. <laughs> <laughs> you did have a habit of stopping halfway through you when know, a thought came into your head. Well, what is it? I'm actually, you know, ADHD, you say, so I'll start off in one topic then. I'll mentally have got to the end of that topic and not realize that, you know, and I'll follow on to the next thing I'm thinking about, you say. And so it's a little bit, the brain needs to slow down. And I probably should have been on Prozac. Or, or <laughs> of, uh, so you, you were halfway through and saying something and you realised you thought of something else. <laughs> Is that what it was? I mean, I, 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 mean, I, had meant, I had mentally finished the discussion, you know, and then I, I had already started thinking about the next thing I was thinking about. So it was, it, it, I just to slow down rather than... Okay, okay. Up, but you, you've no regrets, actually. I mean, did you think you were going to win? I mean, when those results were being called out, obviously you thought you were going to take a few counties or you know, and what have you, a few polls. But did you think you were going to win? Did, did you ever think you were going to win? Or did you say, look, I'll be happy to kaboom second? Well, I knew it was going to be a, a tough uh, uphill road. You know, the Michael D, you know, is a very lovable camp character and, you know, he has been supported by the three major parties, uh, you know, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Green, Labour, you know, those those parties. And then, of course, Sinn Féin was putting up Leah, who's a delightful person. And mm-hmm. so she was, you know, a very, uh, you know, and obviously, like Michael D, she's, uh, she's fluent, you know. And so I knew it was going to be a tough struggle. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, coming second was probably a, realistically as best as I could have hoped. Well, I mean, it was a respectable second. You got 342,000 votes, which was a, a very respectable mm-hmm. second. So, I mean, would you do it again, by the way? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. But I'll be better prepared this time, you know. And well, yeah, what have you got another four years to go? <laughs> four years, four, four years to get fluent and do it. You know, <laughs> and, and do it again. Okay, of course, um, COVID-19 brought so many changes to your life as well, obviously, because it meant that you couldn't jet back and forward as much as you used to, because obviously I know you live in Donegal and you also live in Atlanta mm-hmm. as well. Has that made a big difference to your life? And, and by the way, how has COVID-19 been in Atlanta? You know, it has, uh, life has been normal pretty much for the last seven, eight, nine months, you know. Has, um, there, been, has there been lockdowns uh, in the last seven or eight months? Uh, not in Atlanta, no. Uh, we, we, we didn't really have, we didn't really have any lockdowns per se. There was a period of about three or four weeks when, I mean, uh, there was a period for probably, sorry, three or four months where all the restaurants were closed, but we didn't actually have lockdowns per se, you know, and obviously everyone has to and should wear a mask, you know, uh, but by and large, it has been relatively, you know, the, go- our, the golf club has never stopped operating. That, that's kept uh, you busy anyway, yeah. <laughs> you, you you wouldn't think it if you saw my golf game, but <laughs> I, I have been able to, so, I have been able to golf. So yeah. when you're looking at Ireland and you're seeing Ireland on the news and we're in the longest lockdown in the world next to Cuba, and you can't really count Cuba, to be honest with you, because as I said before, they've been in lockdown for 50 years. So when you look at Ireland, the longest lockdown in the world, what are you thinking to yourself? Are you thinking... The government are making a hames of it. I mean, have you looked? Have you been watching the news, keeping up with it? Uh, I, oh, I, I get RTE here, of course, and I get Sky and BBC. Uh, so I get all the channels here. Um, 
Yes, I, I've said all along that I think that the historians are going to have a field day when they report on this. You know, they're going to look back and say, you won't believe what they did back in, you know, 2021, you know, because it, it, they didn't, we had an option to treat, uh, to come up with a vaccine, which typically takes four to five years to get a good vaccine. Uh, so they decided to come up with a vaccine to try and treat seven and a half billion people rather than focus on the uh, therapeutics to treat the very small number of people who actually got it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, with the closed down economies, which at the end of the day, what causes uh, you know, um, death more than anything else is poverty. And there is going to be a tsunami of poverty coming. You know, there's absolutely... Well, there's, no a, suge- well, there's a suggestion it. that so far uh, between 50 and 80 trillion dollars has been spent worldwide on COVID. And that's not including the economy or the, the money that's going to be lost over the next two to three years. That has to equate to lives. Absolutely. I mean, the rich countries are no longer giving to the poor countries the way they used to. You know, the biggest... Uh, I was sitting beside the... On a flight back from Europe one time with the head of the CDC in Atlanta. And I just curious, uh, me chatting along and I said, so what's the biggest killer, you know, of death, premature death in, in the world? And I, I don't know if it still is now, but at the time he said diarrhea. Diarrhea. 5,000 children under the age of five die yeah. in India every single day. And, and a lot of yeah. people have said this, that the, the media are very much focused on COVID-19. And, and don't get me wrong, what's happening in India is, is quite sad because you've got a large population uh, of people. But when you think before COVID came along, 5,000 children under the age of five die of diarrhea every single day of malnutrition. And yet we never did anything. We never reported on it. Why do we never? Why are we only reporting on it now? You know, it's, 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 it really is one of the straight. And, you know, I've said all along that uh, the economic effects of this are going to be just horrendous. You know, you look at all these big buildings that are empty now uh, in New York, all around the world, all these tall buildings that are empty. I was up in New York. Uh, there's places just like completely empty in terms of the buildings are not being used. And what will happen is the people that own those buildings are the pension funds and the banks. When they come to have to pay out the pensions in four or five, six years' time, they won't be able to because they won't have made the income that they thought they were going to make out of these big buildings that are now not bringing in any revenue for them. So you're going to see so a big a big drop in commercial property values, obviously, because, uh, well, I mean, after this is over, uh, there's a suggestion that many people now want to continue to work from home because a lot of people have got used to it and that's going to reduce commercial property value and it's going to reduce residential value. Absolutely. Well, residential value, I'm not so sure. I think residential value will actually go up because people will want to spend more time at their home. And But, but, surely, with the, surely, the, their home. but surely we're going to rezone. If we have office blocks in town, which are now going to be empty and not needed, they're going to have to rezone those as residential. There's going to be a lot more, a lot more availability of apartments in the city centre. There will be in the long term, but that's going to take four or five years before the owners of the commercial buildings, A, get permission to rezone them and B, physically do it, you know, so it's going to, okay. that's not going to happen what, overnight. What, what would you what would you say to the Irish government, to Michal Martin and Stephen Donnelly in particular, I was the Taoiseach and Minister for Health, um, when today we see the restaurateurs still giving out that the government have no plan 
No, there's no timeline, no date for restaurants to open for indoor dining. They're talking about outdoor dining um, next month. Outdoor dining in Ireland. This is not the Algarve. This is Ireland. Outdoor dining is not going to work. 85% of restaurants don't even have an outdoor terrace. So what do you say when the government actually have no plan? There is no light at the end of the tunnel for reopening and this overcautiousness by Neffet. If you were standing in front of Stephen Donnelly, what would you say? You're making a mess of it? I'd say, Stephen, you know, what the heck is going on? How come you're not able to get the vaccinations out there? The vaccinations, uh, you can get a vaccination now in every every chemist pretty much in America. So I went into Kroger's the other day and there's people, they weren't even queuing up to get one. You just go in and they just give you one. You know, there's no queue. So I don't understand why Ireland uh, vaccination ratio is 50% of the Northern Ireland. You know, Northern Ireland, they've got they've got most of the population done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just don't understand. I mean, well, they're blaming I, the I, European I, Union, of course. They're blaming their supply on the European Union, and the, uh, obviously they never reached out, like Britain and many other countries, Belgium and Germany, who reached out outside the EU. They never reached out outside the well, EU so for why, supply. Why, why, why did they not reach out to Russia? Reach out to America and say, why do you? Why do you think? Because Michal and Leo want to be best friends with Europe for a job in the future. Exactly. I can't think of any other reason why. It's just, it's, it, it is absolutely bonkers. It's beyond belief that the Irish government has not gone out, and we're an island, so we, we should be fairly, uh, fairly easy to sort of self-protect because we are an island. Okay, we have a bit of a leakage with Northern Ireland. There's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know. a bit of go, going are. to and fro, and yeah. By the way, what do you think? What do you think is the suggestion, by the way, by the Northern Ireland Health Minister? Because Northern Ireland is now almost fully vaccinated, and the South are not. There was a suggestion at one stage there last week that we need to start monitoring people coming from the South into the North and maybe spreading infection again. Um, this idea constantly, this threat constantly of a border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Well, do you, do you remember now uh, during one of the presidential debates? I got. Uh, I got I got completely torn into by all of the candidates that they were asked, did we ever see and visit a situation where there'd be a border between Northern Ireland and the Republic? You know, mm. and I was the only candidate that just said absolutely. I said when I was growing up in Northern Ireland, I was about ten or eleven. There was an outbreak of foot and mouth disease. I remember that. The yeah, border, the border went up overnight. And you had to go through disinfecting baths. Yeah, but now, Peter, hold on for a second. You weren't 10 or 11 when foot and mouth was around. Would you stop foot and mouth was, was 2001? I was, I, was, I was, excuse me, excuse me. I was when it first broke out. Okay, maybe first time round. I was there for the first second one. 2001, I think, was the second one. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, no, I, I was definitely, I was there. Well, I wasn't there. Was I there in 2001? Uh, no, I wasn't there in 2001. So I, I left in 80, I left in November the 3rd, 81. Okay. Uh, to go to Australia, so I and I left actually seventy. And and and, and the future. I mean, I mean, look, can you see a future for Ireland at the moment, or do you think we're making a complete and utter hames of it? We are making the biggest mess of it ever. It is, it's interesting that it was the other about a week ago. Uh, Michal, uh, sorry, not Michal Martin. Um, uh, the Tanisha turned around and said. Now where we can see a, a path to opening and we have to work out how to pay for it. I mean, I'm saying that before they close down. How are we ever going to pay for it? You know, it's, but we're not going to pay for it. We're borrowing money. I mean, we're spending ridiculous amounts of money at the moment. Uh, money that we said we didn't have during the housing crisis, by the way, but ridiculous amount, billions, absolutely billions of euro. I, I think the figure probably is going to be by the end of this year, somewhere in the region of 50 to 60 billion euro. 
we're borrowing that. Favorite. We're not going to pay that back. We're not going to be able to pay that back. Well, you know, we're not really borrowing because they're they're basically almost paying us to take the money. You know, so it's, <laughs> uh, I, I I think we're you know we're getting at a zero percent zero percent. I, well, I do believe, actually, at one stage, the central bank were actually giving money away at less than its value at one stage, from what I believe. Yeah, isn't it amazing? You know, uh, I mean, uh, my advice to anybody listening is if somebody offers you money at one and a half, two percent, just take it. Work out what you're going to Work out what you're going to do with it later, you know. And how's your? <laughs> and by the way, how is business affected in America? Obviously, for the first state, I mean, most states in America now don't have lockdowns uh, anymore. I mean, they did initially at the start, of course. I mean, how is business affected? I mean, did Trump come up trumps when it uh, came to supporting business? I, he actually did. I mean, I'm obviously not a Trump supporter, uh, but he actually did. I mean, he acted very. I don't know whether it was Trump or whether it was the. You know the the the, the, the administration yeah. the, uh, the senate you know uh but they certainly drove through uh an amazing package so every small business got two and a half times their monthly payroll uh, just wired into their account you know so if your payroll for example was a hundred thousand they wired two hundred and fifty thousand into your account now the rules were that you have to spend it in 60 days and you had to not default on any debt such as rent or any utilities but you could use that money to pay rent utilities and it would be completely forgiven like just a, a freebie so they essentially subsidize your business to the tune of 100 percent uh two two and a half times of the monthly rent payroll was wired into your account and then they did it again about five months ago they put another two and a half months payroll into the account just it's a great place, America, now. <laughs> sounds wonderful. No, but and how's my, business my, now? My, are you, are you my, back my, to my, where you were? Are you back to where you were now? Oh, we, we're having our best year ever in the history of the company. That's it's, brilliant. It's, just, it's, it's amazing, you know, because we focus on the digital space, analytics, supply chain, you know, uh, uh, that, that whole uh, customer experience. That's the area that we focus so on. So Peter Casey is uh, getting richer. Um, the company's doing really well. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it is great. fair to say, but, I mean, it is fair to say, I mean, I know you're not really in the tech industry, you're more in the recruitment industry, but it is fair to say that the tech, oh, tech industry has done well out of COVID-19. Well, we're in the tech industry. I mean, all we do is recruit for the tech industry. So, you know, we're very much bonded at the hip. Uh, you know, all of our, 95% of our recruiting is, with the, the, the world's leading technology companies. So, I mean, I mean, all we got to do is look at Elon Musk and look at Amazon and our Jeff Bezos and look at all these people. I mean, they've all doubled their money in the last 12 months. Uh, Musk is just, you know, <laughs> you, yeah, I don't know if you saw him on Saturday Night Live, but he was... He was no, I, I, I'm assuming it was something to do with spaceships, was it? Uh, the, the guy is just off the charts. Oh, well, he'll be running for president yeah. probably in eight years' time, you know what I mean? I, I didn't realize, you know, that until Saturday Night Live that he was autistic and he was the first person who's, who'd got autism to actually uh, host Saturday Night Live. So I, I found this guy. I didn't, I didn't know he had autism. Yeah. No, I, 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 I predict, by the, I predicted that he had Asperger's because many people who are head of tech companies, including Mark Zuckerberg, has Asperger's as well. Um, and because mm-hmm. they're very focused people, people with Asperger's. But Peter, it's been wonderful talking to you. And I'm sure, when do you, you come back to Ireland? 
Uh, when are you allowed to come back? Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm hoping that this European, uh, you know, be the, well, I'm hoping that the Irish government will just take a 